The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. Today we're kicking off a new series called Church Wounds. And I knew that this series had struck a chord with people when we put a video out showing uh, the little bumper trailer thing that we had explaining about what church wounds exactly mean. And within just a few days, that video had been viewed over 5,000 times. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, wow, this has definitely, you know, hit a nerve. And something that if you have been in church culture very long, you've probably dealt with. And even if you're newer to church, you've still dealt with wounds from people from the past because we're following a perfect and holy God but yet there are imperfect people all around, and I'm one of them, and so are you, right? So today we're going to start this new series with a message entitled Family Pain. So if you're a note taker, write that down, Family Pains. Unmet expectations, disappointments, disagreements, lies, gossip, hurtful actions, empty words, people who you thought you could trust, leaders that you thought you could trust, people who said they followed Jesus, people that call themselves Christians, people that call themselves pastor, people that you've looked up to, people that you've gotten close to, they have burned you, they've hurt you, you don't know what to do next. Some people try to cope with this by just avoiding. They're just like, I'll just avoid church altogether. I, I don't need this. Some people say that I'm going to find another church. Maybe I, you know, will find a better church where I won't be hurt again. But they're real slow to trust, even if they do find another place to worship. Maybe sometimes never fully finding healing, even though they have transitioned into a different church. Some people were abused by their commitment to serve. Maybe they had a big servant's heart and jumped in with, you know, both feet and really felt abused, like they were taken advantage of. And so they just said, I'm done with this thing, or they still have a wound attached to that. Others have found themselves wounded by abusive teaching from power-hungry or delusional leaders that now those people don't know what to believe. They don't know what's right because I thought this was true, and now I've come to find out that I'm not sure if it really is. Jesus knew that in the family of God, much like our natural family, that there would be pains. So how do we navigate these things? How do we deal with these types of experiences? And most important of all, how do we find healing? How do we find wholeness? How do we find restoration from church wounds? And my prayer is that through this series, that you would find healing, wholeness, forgiveness, restoration and that the roadblock that's been in your path on your journey would be removed so you could be made whole again and you could step into who God has called you to be and be that man or woman of God that He's called you to be. As I look back on my own experiences, I can definitely uh, recall many times where I was wounded um, both just as a church attender and a church leader, times where I was disappointed, times where I was frustrated, Times where I've probably been the person that has disappointed other people or frustrated other people. And recognizing that God wants us to find healing, God wants us to be whole, and God wants us to learn how to grow from those experiences and not to be stuck in those experiences. Amen, somebody? So let's go to the Word of God 
and find out what Scripture says about this thing called church in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and go there. Ephesians 4. The Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's dealing with issues that this church has been dealing with. And he's trying to show these guys how to work together because this whole idea of church is new. Nobody really knows how to do this thing correctly in the sense of there was no guidebook or there was no step one, step two, step three. These guys have come into disagreements. They've come into judgment. All the things that people say they experience in church, let me tell you, these guys had already experienced it. And this thing was not even just a few years old, this thing called the church. And they're already experiencing some of these things because where there are people, there's going to be opinions. And where there's opinion, there's going to be differences. And where there's differences, you got to learn how to navigate those differences. you got to learn how to navigate relationships. you got to learn how to find unity amongst us. And so Paul was writing to try to help these guys understand the purpose of the church. So Ephesians chapter 4, let's look at verse 1. He says this, I, Paul, therefore a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, there is one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended above the heavens that he might fill all things. So Paul's making this statement here saying, Jesus is supreme. Jesus, he has descended to the lowest of the low, and he has ascended to the highest of the heights, and he is above everything. He's Lord over all, and he's saying this in verse 11, so the one who is over all has given you these gifts. He's given you apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain unity of the faith and of the knowledge of of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we will no longer be uh, uh, children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, we speak the truth in love. We are to grow up into every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint which, when it's equipped, and each part is working properly, it causes the body to grow and build itself up in love. He's saying here that this is concerning your walk. This is something dealing with your journey, with your following Christ. There's this thing called the church, and Jesus is over the church, and He's given you gifts to be able to equip you for the working of the ministry so that you can be built up and edified. And so this thing called church can be what God wants it to be. 
And when everyone does their share and they edify one another in love, it becomes this seamless thing that brings glory to God that builds itself up because it's an encouraging entity that is spurring one another on to good works to where each one of us are a piece that play a vital role and we begin to proclaim the goodness of God. We're not swayed when creepy doctrine comes along or something that might try to knock us off our feet. Every change of wind in the society and in culture doesn't throw us off our game because we're connected. We're close. We're together. We're encouraging one another, staying focused on the things that really matter and building one another up in love. And it's a testimony to the world. And Paul said this, that the church matures us. It's part of growing into mature manhood. The church is part of God's plan for maturing Christians, equipping the saints for the work of ministry, edifying itself in love, growing, unity. These are all words that Paul used to describe the purpose of the church. The glory of God is, of course, the ultimate purpose of making mature disciples, because as you and I mature, we begin to glorify God by the way we live, by the way that we treat one another, by the way that we show forth the gospel, live out the gospel, and tell others about the good news of Jesus. And we see how that plays out in our lives, that the glory of God is our ultimate purpose, and making disciples glorifies God, and it impacts eternity. And some people say, oh, I don't need church. I'll just read a Bible at home with some friends, and that's all I need to do. I don't need a church. Well, the Bible talks about the importance of being a part of the local body of Christ. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. Again, Paul, same guy talking about being connected in church and being connected to the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12 is where we're going to start. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though are many, are one body. This is so with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. So now our body parts are talking. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, would, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, then where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And over in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, Scripture says, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. And the day is actually capitalized, if you're looking at that in your Bible. You'll see that he's talking about the day of the Lord, talking about the fact that Jesus, when he returns, the day of the Lord, when you see the signs of the times coming that you know Christ's return is imminent, and we begin to see things happening in our world that, that throw up a big, big red flag for us to know, hey, time is running out, 
And we need to be telling people about Jesus. We need to be making sure that we're connected because there's going to be a greater level of persecution. There's going to be a greater level of of, uh, this opportunity for us to want to recant our faith or for us to just want to go with the flow of what's popular in society. And we see that happening in our day and age where you don't see a whole lot of people standing for anything remotely close to what Scripture says. And if you do, you get uh, ostracized from society. When someone wants to stand up for biblical truth, people become criticized. You're not welcome at the lunch table like you once were because you're not agreeing with what is popular and mainstream in the way that certain people think. And all of a sudden now, uh, if you don't agree with that way of thinking, the main way that the world wants us to think, then you're considered an outsider. And they slap all types of labels on you to try to classify and categorize you. Man, there's definitely a rumbling and rising of an increase of persecution, even in America, where we see that the church is being attacked, and we see that the body of Christ is being attacked, and truth is being attacked. People think truth is relative. They just believe whatever, and that makes it true because that's their truth. There's no such thing. Truth is based on the Word of God, people. Amen? It's based on the Word of God and Scripture alone, and that has to be our foundation. Otherwise, everything else is sinking sand. Christ, the solid rock, I'll stand, right? And, and so the writer of Hebrews tells us that when you see the day of the Lord approaching, you begin to see these types of things happening. Don't stop assembling together. It's going to be a, there's going to be a big temptation for you to stop assembling yourselves together. There's going to be a lot of excuses, and boy, do we have them, don't we? We have busyness, offense, Someone did me wrong. Oh, I just don't like that church just doesn't have the Spirit of God moving in it anymore. Or we just go down our long laundry list of all the things that we want to criticize and the reason that we want to remove ourselves. And here the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't forsake assembling yourselves together. And then all of a sudden you see some pastor on TV fall and it's this big, huge thing and then it hurts the whole body of Christ because all of a sudden now people feel they can't trust church leadership. Or maybe there's some personal wound that was dealt to you and you feel like you can't trust anymore. The Bible says, man, don't forsake assembling yourselves together. We need one another. Just like Paul wrote in the Corinthian, to the Corinthians, he said, hey, does the eye say I don't need the hand? Does it say I don't need the ear? I'm good by myself. No, we need each other because we each have different functions, different giftings, different strengths that God has put in us, and He wants us to work together to glorify Him and to help build one another up. He has a purpose for us, and it's greater than any individual. And here's the thing about the church that we all need to realize. Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves the church. The most famous passage of Scripture used when teaching on marriage is Ephesians chapter 5, where you'll always hear about husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church. As Christ loved the church. What did Christ do? He gave Himself for the church. He loves the church so much He died for the church. The church was God's idea. The Bible calls the church His bride. Sometimes we are bridezilla, but we are the bride of Christ. Amen, somebody? We're we're not always so lovely, but Jesus loves us in spite of all that. Jesus loves us in spite of all our flaws, all of our imperfections. Aren't you grateful for that? 
Aren't you grateful that even though we do things in the name of God that probably have nothing to do with God, He still says, I still love you. I still forgive you, even though I feel like God is forever in the shaking my head emoji station, you know, just, just always just, just always like, oh my goodness. He still says, you know what, I still love you, even though I see where you're going, I see what you're doing, I see mistakes you're making, I still love you, even though we're flawed and we are imperfect, He still loves us, Jesus loves the church, He died for the church, it was His idea, and 1 John 4 and 18 said, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear, for fear has to do with punishment, but whoever fears has not been perfected in love. In other words, you haven't really seen the level of love that you need to experience from God. You haven't opened up your heart to that level of love that He's wanting you to see so that you can have that fear eliminated. Don't allow fear to win. Wounded people live their lives fearful. Wounded people live their lives being fearful of being wounded again. And so they get bitter. They get angry, they isolate, they withdraw, they develop a root of bitterness. And they hold on to that thing, and they won't let it go. And they're waiting to be justified. They're waiting to be rectified. They're waiting to be proven right. They're waiting to go, ha, told you so, or see, I was right. But it's really fear at the core that's driving them. It's fear that's keeping them at bay. And in living in fear, and in living in that isolation, not only are they not stepping into their role and being the part of the body that's needed to be a part of the church, operating in their gifts and operating in the, the, the things God has put on the inside of them to be a blessing to the body of Christ and to be for God's glory and to be a witness to other people in the role that He's called them and put them in, not only are they not doing that and it's hurting the body of Christ, but it's also creating this hardness in their heart. And it's putting distance in their relationship with Jesus because they're not being challenged. They're not being encouraged. They're not being uh, in a fellowship of people who are spurring them on to good works. And they'll often begin to allow distance in their heart to begin to be created from their affections that they have for Jesus. But here's the good news. The love of God can heal any wound. Literally, any wound. The love of God can heal any wound of unresolved, unforgiven instances that reveals some sort of area that you haven't submitted to the love of God. The love of God can heal those things because perfect love casts out all fear. So now all of a sudden I don't feel this need to be in control because formerly if you're living your life wounded, you feel a need to be in control because you want to control what you will allow in your life and if someone is going to potentially cause you another pain in your life, you want to be able to control that situation, and so you create distance trying to exercise control. But you're really trying to control because you're afraid. You may sound big and bad and tough, but you're really trying to control because you're afraid. But perfect love casts out all that fear. It just goes away. I am 
a very pale individual. I don't know if you've noticed this or not. And me and my people, the gingers of the world, where are my people at? That's right. The gingers, we grew up differently than the rest of you. While you just jumped out of the car and jumped into the pool and were so excited, our parents said, no, you have to put on sunscreen first and wait for it to dry before you can jump in the pool. And then you had to get out of the pool while your friends remained in the pool, and you had to reapply every 20, 30 minutes. And then even after all that work and smelling like that and being greasy, you would still get red and get that sunburn. And as a child, when I would go to church and I'd see my friends, and I had just experienced swimming that weekend and I was red, my friends thought it was funny to come and smack me on the back. Hey, Derek, how you doing? You couldn't see I look like a lobster? You couldn't see that my skin matched my hair? That I was red all over? Of course they saw it. They thought it was funny. And then my next buddy, hey, Derek, boom, hey, good to see you. Every time you would touch my skin, oh, man, it reminded me of that, that, the, the fact that I was sunburned. I tried to forget, but every time I felt the pain, I would remember. And so many times, folks, we have wounds in our lives that have not healed. And you know that those wounds haven't healed when someone touches it and you go, ah! You know someone brings up that name of that person. They bring up that certain church across town. They bring up a certain situation and ask how you're doing, and you go, ah! And when you scream in agony and pain, and you begin to rehash the situation that happened 10 years ago as if it happened yesterday, you know that you haven't healed. You may say you've forgiven, but have you really forgiven if every time someone sticks their finger where that sore spot was that there's still the same level of pain that there was before, and you'd just rather not talk about it. You'd rather not be reminded of it because there's pain there. And so in an attempt to try to heal from it, we just put distance between us. Or we try to find others who we will feel maybe we can not be wounded by. Maybe this will work. But then you find out that when that gets touched, oh, I haven't healed of that. You can't just go the rest of your life just avoiding certain conversations. You can't go the rest of your life avoiding certain things because Jesus is wanting to bring healing to your heart. And the longer you hold on to offense, the longer you hold on to wounds, the longer you give power to the enemy. You think you're controlling something, but you're not. That's the deception. It's a lie. It's a trick that you're actually controlling something, but you're really not. It's a snare that makes you feel like you're doing something, but in reality, you're giving the enemy control because you're allowing those negative thoughts and emotions to turn you into someone that you didn't want to be and putting divides and wedges and gaps in relationships and in trusting God or being a part of the church that weren't there before. And the enemy is winning, and you feel like you're in control, and, and you don't even realize it. 
It's a trick. It's sneaky, and people buy into it all the time. Let's finish reading Ephesians chapter 4 because he addresses this. The Apostle Paul does. Let's pick it up in verse 17. Remember, he had said that the church is going to build itself up in love when everyone is doing their part, when the body is working together and maturing into uh, mature Christianity where we are called. Verse 17 in Ephesians 4 says this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So remember earlier in chapter 4, he was talking about how we should walk as imitators of Christ, how we should walk as people who have the Spirit of God on the inside of us. Now he's saying how not to walk. Don't walk like the Gentiles. The Gentiles, they're living in darkness, okay, in the futility of their minds. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. These people don't know Christ. These people are not followers of Jesus. They're not Christians, so don't act like people who aren't followers of Jesus, is what he's basically saying. In other words, they have an excuse to act that way, in a sense, because their life has not experienced the love of God. They have not experienced it. So, of course, you would expect someone who has lived in the darkness their whole life, who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, of course you would expect them to act a certain way. When they're offended, they react a certain way. They want to get back at the person who hurt them. I'm just going to get right back at them, and I'm going to, you know, run their name through the mud. I'm going to make sure nobody else is a part of this deal. I'm going to make sure everybody knows what's going on. And that's how they act because you go, yeah, that's the way people that don't know Jesus should act. He's saying, don't act like those people. He's saying, it makes sense that they do that because they have hardness in their heart. They're alienated from the life of God. Verse 19, they have become callous. They have given themselves up to sensuality, to greedy, selfish practice, and every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you have learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and you were taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on your new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, Put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbors. We are members of one another. Be angry, yes, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Scripture can preach for itself. Forgiveness is the love of God in action. (sighs) Forgiveness is the love of God in action. It is the love that you and I have received. 
It is the mark of a follower of Jesus. We are not like the Gentiles who are darkened in their hearts and in their understanding. In other words, we've been shown the truth. We've received the truth. And to whom much is given, much is required. We've received forgiveness. And and who are we to think that someone would be so terrible that they don't deserve our forgiveness? Who are we to sit in that seat and say something like that or think something like that? Well, you don't know what they've done. You know what we've done to Jesus? We, all of us, myself included, all of us, how we have rebelled against God, how we have lied, how we have committed adultery in our hearts, how we've stolen, how we have been selfish, how we've been greedy, how we've been lustful, how we have basically defied the commands of God. And still, God would say, I love you enough to send my only son to die for you. Who are we to say, I'll receive forgiveness, but I don't want to give it? Who do we think we are to say, I want to receive your love, God, but I'm going to be selective in who I give it to? The Bible says something about what we've received. It says that it's not just for us. You see, we have this idea that all the blessings of God, the love, the forgiveness, the mercy, all the things we like, that somehow it's for us, as if somehow we're the goal. We're an end to ourselves. And we look at ourselves as being recipients of love, and we want to tank up on the love of God. Well, yes. I want to tank up on the love of God. Give me some of that forgiveness, Jesus. Give me some of that mercy, Lord. Give me some of that grace, Lord. I just don't want to give it to anybody else. Who do we think we are? We want to receive all this love. And then we claim to have received this love. But the best way that proves we have received this love is give it away the same way we received it. Because the Bible says freely you have received. So freely give. You see, we are conduits, not containers. All the blessings of God, regardless of what they are, don't come to us for us to be able to store up for ourselves. Do we benefit from it? Absolutely. But it flows in us and flows right out of us. We are vessels to be used for His glory. Freely we receive, freely we give. Forgiveness does not mean that what happened to you was okay. Are you hearing me this morning? Forgiveness does not mean that the other person is in the right. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you're wrong and now the other person is somehow justified. Forgiveness means that you are so overwhelmed with the love of God that He has for you that you are more concerned about pleasing God than you are being right or justified or angry. That the love of God that He has for you has awakened in your heart at such a level and it has wrecked you so much and the gospel has become so good to you and wrecked you to the point to where what you have received, how could you not give it? That's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is you being wrecked over your own sin and receiving forgiveness and love from God and being able to extend that to other people Yeah, they may not deserve it, but neither did you. Neither did we. None of us deserve forgiveness. None of us earned forgiveness. The Bible says we can't earn righteousness. If we try to earn righteousness, the Bible says it's just filthy rags. That's all it is. 
And we want to polish our trophies and say, yes, Lord, look at all the things I've done. And he says, have you forgiven? That's the fundamentals, the basics of Christianity. And it doesn't mean you've got to go be best friends with the people that wounded you. It doesn't mean that you've got to go act like everything's okay now. But it does mean that you have found freedom and forgiveness in Christ and you can love people where they're at regardless of how they've wounded you. That you're no longer a slave to the past. That you're no longer chained to yesterday. That you're no longer in bondage to the words or actions or inactions of other people. Other pastors, other church leaders. Because you're not putting your faith and hope in a pastor or a leader. You're putting your faith and hope in Jesus Christ. Amen? Don't put your faith and hope in me. I am flawed. Get close to me. You will see my flaws. It will not take you long. I am flawed. I am far from perfect. And my role and responsibility and my gift is to teach and to be in the role that God has called me. What's your gift? What's your role? I've been hurt in the church. I could use my hurt and my woundedness to make a lot of excuses to keep me out of my role. And there have been times where that was tempting. There have been times where I considered it. But then I'm reminded of the love of God. And I want to speak good of those who have wounded me and hurt me. I want to love them and forgive them. And I don't want to further empower the enemy and fall into a snare and a snack and, and, a, and a trap of control. Are you tired of being angry? You can be free. God's love is that powerful and that real. I want you to listen to this story. So when speaking with people that have dealing with church hurt or those groups of people that have been hurt by a local church or members of a local church. Um, I've dealt with it myself. I, when I came out of the church I was at for about two years, I was discipled in the church, etc. Um, I refused to join a church for a good year. I was just like, I don't trust leaders. I feel like everything they say to me is a lie. I barely trust Christians because I feel like they're just gonna always gonna put their convictions and their opinions on me. And if I don't walk like they do, then I'm not godly and etc. But I met, I linked up with a pastor in St. Louis who walked me through Ephesians and just was showing me like the purpose of the church, why it's here, why it's necessary, and even God's heart for the church. And I think the, one of the biggest motivating factors that helped me love the church again was seeing that Jesus loves the church. Um, seeing that Jesus calls his church his bride, like what personal language to use, you know, for a group of people. So, and even how I need the church, how in Ephesians where it says, like, he said about prophets and evangelists and all these people to grow us up to maturity. It's like, man, how can I ask God, God, make me like you, but I refuse to put myself in the context in which he uses to make me like him. Um, where it's like, man, like, these, these prophets or teachers or pastors, they, their function is in a local body, and that is how I get mature. So if I love Jesus and I want to look like him, I need to put myself in the situation to grow. Um, how, do, how do I walk out love if I'm not in situations where I'm challenged to love or hate, you know? Um, and I think even on the forgiveness factor, uh, I think God, this is an opinion, 
but I think God cares for us, desires for us to be healed, but I think he cares more about his glory. And that's hard to say, but I mean like, I think some people that have been hurt use their pain as justification for hatred, which isn't right. Um, Jesus was hurt. Isaiah 53 tells us he was hurt. You know what I'm saying? Like he was disrespected, but he chose to love us and still chooses to love us. So I think that's our challenge um, as believers who have been hurt is I choose to love the church of God despite their flaws uh, because Jesus loves me. Do you need to choose to forgive? Do you need to choose to love today? I'd like to ask our prayer team to go ahead and come up to the front. If you would like for someone to pray with you from finding healing from church wounds or anything else, it doesn't have to be related to that. You can come up for prayer for anything. I would, I would just ask that you would just share that with them, encourage you to find forgiveness, I believe today could be a transformational day for you. If you've never received the love of God and you're like, yeah, I haven't received the love of God in the measure you've talked about. If you've never confessed your sin and your need for Jesus Christ, if you've never confessed, Jesus, I realize I need you and I need your perfect love because perfect love casts out all fear, then today is your day. Our prayer team can help you. You can also fill out a response card in your bulletin. Let us know that you have made that decision today to follow Jesus and we want to help you to be set on a path to grow and maturing and get connected and be a part of what God is doing. We want to help you with next steps and at a bare minimum we want to pray for you. If you need to hang out and pray, just do so. If there's someone here in this church that you need to forgive or ask for forgiveness from, do it before you leave. Don't give up on church. The church is just not somewhere we go. It is who we are. Don't run away from church because of wounds. Find healing and freedom today. If you're in the commons area, you can come into the sanctuary and just receive prayer. Please don't let the fact that you're not in this room be a barrier for you. I want God to be able to just grab a hold of your heart where you're at. He knows where you're at. He knows the issues. He knows what's going on. He knows what happened. He knows the things that this message has stirred up because you've thought about names and places and those situations that have come up to your mind. That's not by happenstance, I believe. I believe it's because Jesus is wanting you to find healing today. I really believe that. He doesn't want you walking around carrying that because He has carried all of our burdens and all of our pains and all of our shame. He's carried all of that stuff. And He cares about you. He cares about you right where you're at. And He wants to help you find healing. Let me pray for you today. Church, would you stand? You can come at any time to these altars and we'd love to minister to you, whether now or after the service. Please feel free to come, but let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for this message. And I pray in Jesus' name that you do what only you can do in hearts. In hearts, Lord, where decisions are made, where it's the core of who we are. And I pray in Jesus' name that you help healing to come today. Let today be a monumental moment in people's journey with you, Lord, in their walk with you, where they can begin to 
have that hardness begin to chip away and be melted by your love. Your love that has loved us so much as we consider the weight of your love. Help us to freely receive and freely give. Help us to forgive and not hold on to that bitterness, Lord. That thing that's poisoning our own hearts. I pray that you would help people to find healing and forgiveness today. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.